Money FM 89.3, the best of the afternoon update. You're listening to the afternoon update on Money FM 89.3, and now it's time for Eco Money, where we bring you the latest in sustainability and finance. Now, the Monetary Authority of Singapore has pledged 5 million Singapore dollars or to contribute to 5 million Singapore dollars for an Asia Climate Solutions grant. This is part of a push to move closer to net zero carbon emissions by 2050. What exactly does this mean? And when we're looking at the wider picture, what's the role of public-private partnership? Well, this grant was announced today on the back of the inaugural Transition Finance Towards Net Zero Conference. McKinsey and Company were partners in the event. To find out more, we're joined now by Sven Smith, who is a senior partner at McKinsey and Company. Sven, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you to be with you. It's great to be here. Great to have you with us. So, Sven, perhaps we can start off there. I want to find out from you, what does net zero mean to you? Net zero is our effort to transition not just the energy system, but also agriculture, mobility and chemicals to a place where we will not get to a situation where temperatures will raise out of control with uh, negative effects on all of us. So let's let's talk then and take it a step further. Why is public-private partnership so important here? Well, to some degree, you could explain blended finance and public-private partnerships with the fact that mm. the, the environment and the climate are a public good. And some of the investments that are required are either getting returns all the way past 2050, or the returns are not just directly at the same level that businesses uh, and private institutions would expect to make in their discipline by capital markets. And so what you would want to achieve with blended finance is that the combination of public interest and the public good of environment gets blended into the finance of private companies so that the returns to them look profitable. Well, you might say, could the public then not just do the climate investments themselves? Mm. And we all know that the privates are probably more productive and efficient to do certain things. So you want to get the blend of the productivity and the efficiency of the private sector, but you do want the financial commitment uh, of the public sector to the private sector that they will find it a reasonable return to do these efforts. Sven, let's just take a step back here and take a deeper dive into exactly what we mean by blended finance, because for many this may be a new term. Yeah, so maybe a very pragmatic uh, example that was shared also in the discussion today. You could have a company that would want to invest to set up in a certain place. Uh, and that company would invest, let's say, half a billion. Mm. But they won't come because the cost of the energy that they need to do is uh, prohibitive. And they go to a place that doesn't have that energy cost. If you would then give a grant of, let's say, 10, 20 million that ameliorates the energy transition cost in that thing, the entire investment might come. So with actually a small amount of money, you could catalyze a much larger investment, which is good for the people, good for the region where it happens, good for the place where it happens. And at the same time, it achieves the public objective of uh, a cleaner environment. So I want you to um, actually explain, talk to us about, you know, the size of the challenge uh, as well and the potential for blended finance to unlock. We've done many, many numbers uh, on this for the world, but also for Asia. So if I take the Asian number, the step up in annual spending 
to invest in the new system of energy and production that will make all of this possible is something like 2.4 trillion. Um, that's a lot. Uh, It is a lot, 2.4 trillion. <laughs> a year, a year. Oh, wow. Every year until 250. So it's a lot of okay. money. What we discussed today is that it might be possible by financing 300 billion in a public way, you unleash something like 900 billion in a private way, which would be going, you know, not halfway, but a significant way, 40% of the way towards that 2.4 trillion. Lots of other things will need to happen still. But what it suggests is that a smaller public investment catalyzing a larger private investment could be a very substantial part of the solution to that large step up. Sven, talk to us, who was involved in the discussions today? And then from there, what does this mean for the man in the street? I think business was involved, uh, the financial system from all mm -hmm. sides, banks, but also regulators and monetary authorities were involved. NGOs were involved, uh, experts in the field of public-private uh, partnerships, uh, experts in the field of the energy system, and so on. So let's say the people that could figure out how to do this. What it hopefully would mean for the people in the street is that we do achieve the objective of being resilient in, uh, against climate change, but at the same time do it in an affordable way uh, and uh, so that the people in the street will not get, you know, in a way penalized for the transition by exorbitant energy costs, for example. Mm. So what was, what was the aim of the event and what's next? Any targets? I think there was a lot of learning going on, mm -hmm. uh, like what works in public-private partnerships, what doesn't work yet. There was sharing of examples that had worked and there were also discussions about barriers that are still to overcome. Uh, I think there was a call for blending this approach more into the regulatory system. There was a right. call for very specific projects that could illustrate this. And there was a strong call that this will be part of the COP27 discussion in Egypt. Can you give us some ex example of those projects that were perhaps discussed? So it, it, I think it ranges from the standard things of okay. wind, solar, and so on. But also people brought in that we need to also work on food and we mm. need to work on the chemical system and so on. Because food has its impacts too and affordable food, good food and environmentally clean food is export important for us all too. So I think the spectrum was quite wide, which is consistent with what this challenge is. Of so course, what, mobility was another part of the discussion. And what about barriers? You mentioned barriers, Sven. What needs to happen for these barriers to break for us to reach net zero? Well, overall, it's a speed question. Mm. Uh, what was illustrated is that of that 2.4 trillion, we could get there, but we are not there. Uh, we're behind in the investment and we're behind even in the target setting. So uh, that is not a lack of commitment, but I'm just saying we're behind. And Many of the barriers have to do with uh, how easy it is to do some of these projects, how fast you can move them forward, who wants, you know, not in my backyard is a big problem in this whole transition, which has to do with the domestic policies. And then the other barriers is to unleash the finance. And, you know, are the institutions that are helping to finance uh, the public-private partnerships currently set up and governed in a way that they will put the majority of their money in, in projects consistent with these goals? And I think largely this was also a call to action to go further from targets to implementation. I think the implementation roadmaps are not 100% clear, but there's many things that you could do 
that already make sense and they're not yet happening. So there's a, a big call to action also. And I like what you what you highlighted there, not in my backyard, you know, mm-hmm. with, with climate change. That there has been a lot of passing the buck, hasn't there, when it comes to tackling issues related to climate change and reaching these net zero goals. So what do you expect to happen next, Sven? Is I would say that because we, and which was also discussed today, we are, of course, in a complicated environment in the global economy uh, and so on, that we will get to a level of pragmatism, mm-hmm. which will suggest this is what we can do in the next five years, and that that becomes a real roadmap. Because I think at the moment, the roadmap, the full roadmap to 2050 is probably a bit overwhelming. And I think we would help society a lot if we would just pick out the stuff that is the most doable and get on with it so that you get a positive record of action uh, that then can accelerate and also drive innovation that will make the next set of action easier again. So what is McKenzie's role here then? We were in this conference, we were a knowledge partner. I would say in general, we do two things. We are contributing knowledge. I chair McKinsey Global Institute, which is our think tank. And we, for example, had a report on net zero that basically described the size of the challenge, where it sits, who would have to do what to make the, th- make the transition possible. So that I would call a contribution in knowledge. Of course, McKinsey Company also works with clients to get some of this work done, uh, which is you know working with manufacturing companies to make their factories cleaner, uh, and more sustainable, working with food companies on food and so on. And I could go on, but there's, there's the two sides. The impact is through our client work largely, but we contribute a lot on knowledge so that many decision makers are better informed on the decisions that they need to take. Okay, Sven, well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you, and it was great to be with you. Have a good day. Thank Thank you so much. We've been speaking with Sven Smith, who is a senior partner at McKinsey & Company, hot on the heels of the inaugural Transition Finance Towards Net Zero Conference. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.